A new report from the Fraser Institute has some you know, pretty shocking data. It appears that the public, a.k.a. You know, the government sector, accounts for a large majority, 86.7%. 86, the report says 86%, 86% of all net new jobs created since the start of the pandemic is in government, is public sector bureaucrats. I mean, what? To discuss this report and taught off the press is Ben Eisen. He's a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. Hey, Ben. Hey, how are you today? Good. So look, <laughs> I don't like this number. I mean, I'm, you know, a bit of a libertarian when it comes to government. And, and of course, we went through a pandemic. Tell, walk me through this 86%. What is going on here? Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. Uh, we frequently see politicians and others pointing to the sort of headline labor market statistics that we're used to, the employment rate, the unemployment rate, uh, both of which are looking relatively uh, decent, at least compared to where we were at the start of the pandemic. But mm. what's lost, if we just look at those headline stats, is that almost all of the job creation that's taken place since the start of the pandemic on net has taken place in the public sector. There's been very little uh, job growth in the, uh, in the private sector uh, and all of it in government. So just to put it into context, there's been in the government sector about 366,000 jobs created. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the private sector, it's a total of about 56,000. So 366,000 versus 56,000, which, as you say, uh, it's over 86% of all the net jobs I have been in government. There's been basically no growth in the private that's, sector. That's insane. What? What? I mean, obviously, we had a struggling, rough couple of years. I own a business. You know, I know what it's like to own a business. Uh, you know, it was rough. Um, and re- I look at my job, my my team. It's about the same size as it was pre-pandemic because growth has been tough uh, during the pandemic. Uh, staying alive as a business has been tough. So, wh- what kind of jobs are we talking about? Three hundred and sixty thousand jobs across Canada. Obviously, what kind of jobs are we talking about here? Well, these are all jobs across the, the government sector. So governments have been uh, staffing up their public services, but also uh, the broader public service as well. Uh, excuse me, the broader se- public sector as mm-hmm. well, uh, which includes a lot of things, uh, schools and hospitals. So lots of, uh, and, and within the public service itself, uh, lots of people doing important work in the communities. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that it raises the question about how sustainable is this. Uh, if we mm-hmm. break it down and take a look at percentages in terms of how uh, rapid these things have been growing, the government has grown about 10% in terms of total employment since 2020. Uh, you compare that to the private sector, including self-employed, it's about 0.4%. So 9.4% mm-hmm. versus 0.4%. Right. And over, t- over time, uh, that's not sustainable because all of those no. government sector jobs need to be paid for with tax revenue, which ultimately has to come in large part, at least, uh, from the private sector. So uh, certainly people being hired doing important work in many cases in the communities they live in. Of course. Uh, but it's not sustainable in the long term uh, when you don't have a private sector that's really growing at all. I know we have this dilemma. I mean, I, I get it that, you know, we need healthcare workers, for example. We've talked a lot about that on this show. You know, we were talking yesterday about, uh, you know, ambulance workers and paramedics and the fact that they need, you know, about $60 million to get 60 uh, locations fully staffed. So, you know, where does that money come from? And of course, it makes sense. But, at, you know, this is only in a two year period that this has gone from, you know, 360,000 360, jobs. And you say the 0% basically for private sector uh, mm-hmm. as far as growth or 0.8%. Percent, uh, th- which means those companies are probably not making as much money. They're probably kind of static on their on your revenue. If you're not hiring more people, you're probably not growing as a business. And if you have to pay more tax, it's your margins get smaller, and so you're suffering. And then that, they create this horrible situation where the economy really starts to decline. And you, you talk about, rate, um, about about having to pay more tax as a result uh, to finance these things. The mm-hmm. fact is that many governments across 
many governments across the country, including the federal government, certainly uh, are facing large budget deficits, which means that this additional hiring isn't being done uh, with cash on hand. It's being paid for with borrowed money. Right. And obviously that the, the cost of which is going up, too, is interest rates rise. Uh, so we're having to spend more money in the future uh, just paying the interest on the debt that's resulting as the government grows uh, so, so rapidly. So it's not just imposing costs on taxpayers today, uh, this hiring, particularly uh, to the extent that it means uh, entrenched in the long term, is going to continue to impose costs on taxpayers into the future because uh, there's just more debt that needs to be financed mm-hmm. service. And uh, I think that regardless of one's policy preferences, most of us would like to see uh, money that we pay in taxes going to something uh, other than debt, whether it's public services or tax relief. Uh, money spent on debt financing is not uh, not most of our favorite way to spend money. No, and this is is this not is it an anomaly though? Is it just are these jobs kind of just temporary and they go away? I mean, given the pandemic, they just kind of hired a bunch of contractors and they're just going to let them all go after things get back to normal. A little bit of that, but not most. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the majority we, we we broke it down, and a the, the clear majority of the government uh, jobs that have been uh, added are permanent jobs. So there, there is a little bit of what you described, but it's for the most part uh, permanent jobs, and certainly. Uh, that's contributed to uh, the big headline statistics mm-hmm. that we see in terms of uh, total employment. And it, it doesn't change the reality that uh, that private sector job growth of just uh, just 0.4 percent uh, in total. That's on annualized that's in total over mm-hmm. the course of more than two years. Uh, that should be a big source of concern for everybody uh, about the health of the underlying Canadian economy. Although you could argue that, you know, adding two, 360,000, 360, you know, employment, you know, jobs, those are, you know, good paying jobs, potentially. Those are people that will spend money, that will keep the economy going, that will help small businesses and medium-sized businesses survive. So you could argue, hey, you know what, we're investing in uh, staffing who are going to become, you know, affluent people. They'll spend some money that's good for the economy. Yeah, and you fit, you put your your finger earlier on about the uh, the challenge with that line of argument, which is that the money that's used to pay these things doesn't, uh, as, you, as you well know, uh, it doesn't come out of thin air. Uh, it has to be extracted from somewhere, and that somewhere is generally the private sector. Uh, the money that's used to pay uh, for these jobs has to come from taxes, and so if money that's being spent on uh, government jobs weren't taxed, so to speak, it would remain in the pockets of other people who would then have that money to spend. So yes. Um, there's a little bit of uh, taking out of uh, one pocket to put it in the other that feeds that very logical way of thinking. Describe it to you to see why, mm-hmm. uh, what, why we think that way until we stop and think, hey, where does that money come from? And that's ultimately out of our paychecks in the form of higher taxes. It can be a little harder to see, uh, but it's there and it's going from one pocket to the other, really, what you're describing. Yeah. Do you see, though, uh, differences in provinces as far as left versus right on the political spectrum that there's where there's a government that's left leaning, they're, they're being more robust with their spending on jobs? And, and then you've got the federal liberals who are you know, centrist, if not to the left, slightly currently. Yeah, yeah well, we, we didn't break it down by province and certainly not by uh, an attempt to, to mm-hmm. map on ideology. But it's not as simple as uh, it's not as simple as partisan politics, at least at the mm-hmm. level of uh, at least at the level of government spending. Uh, we, again, we don't have a specific job data by government, but certainly the government of Ontario has increased spending uh, significantly in recent years, despite being, uh, you know, a progressive conservative government. Uh, so it doesn't map onto party affiliation, uh, and, and the numbers that we see suggest that it's a nationwide trend. So uh, there, there is likely variation from province to province, uh, but I think it's clearly not as simple as uh, as identifying political parties to know uh, where, where where this is taking place. This report is quite surprising. Eighty-six percent of you know this this increase in jobs of the jobs that are being out there. Do you see this? And, and you know, generally, besides your report, I don't hear a lot of backlash to the spending of government these days. There's this acceptance uh, by most people, more than I've ever experienced in my life, 
uh, where, hey, it's okay for government to spend money. Uh, certainly, we understood that with the pandemic. But even before that, we had a federal government that was really spending a lot of money. Um, when, and in times were pretty good. Generally, you know, the philosophy is when times are good, you save. When times are bad, you spend. So you could argue, well, during the pandemic, times were bad, so the government spent. But they were benefiting, they were benefiting from previous government savings abilities, um, including their own <laughs> Liberal Party from 20, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, is there, a, is there a way, is this a trend that we're going to expect to continue of this kind of job creation, this bureaucratic buildup, uh, because people are willing to accept it? Uh, well, it's difficult to know exactly how things will unfold in the short term, but you absolutely put your, uh, you, you said it just right a second ago in terms of our ability to respond when uh, a crisis hit. We, we were able to uh, respond to the emergency in a sort of robust fashion, largely because of decades uh, of a different approach to public finances that began under the 90s, but lasted uh, for a period, a lengthy period of time. Mm-hmm. And so when a crisis hit, uh, Canada was in a lot better position than a lot of other countries to respond to it. But if that then settles in and becomes permanent, mm-hmm. and the years and decades go by and you continue to run deficits and you don't, as you say, um, scale back during uh, other periods, then you're less well positioned to deal uh, with, the ne- with the next crisis uh, when it's, and there will eventually be one. Uh, so certainly one would hope that we can learn uh, some lessons from the past, learn the lessons uh, about the advantages of a generally prudent and frugal approach to public management. Uh, just one of those advantages being, uh, firstly, we save money along the way on interest costs, so we have it available for other things. It's not well known necessarily that in the 1990s, prior to that debt crisis, about 30 cents of every dollar of revenue was going to serve as debt. So we're not there yet, but that's where things can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other, the other consequence, to, in addition to saving the money, uh, is that uh, from, a, from a prudent approach in, during the better times, is that if a crisis hits, you can respond to it right. uh, with, with more firepower. And we're putting ourselves in a position uh, where that will be harder for us in the future uh, when and if the next uh, challenge arrives. Yeah, and they always do. <laughs> there is one thing predictable about our economy. It goes up and down, up and down. So, yeah, well, we should be preparing ourselves. Well, Ben, I, I appreciate you joining me and filling me in this report. It's very, very interesting. Thanks for having me on. Welcome back, George Affleck, in for Jill for the rest of this week. And uh, in this hour, we've got to, after the one thirty news, Trisha Barker, former NPA uh park board commissioner who now bailed and has joined the competition team. Uh, she's going to come by and tell us why, why, why all this jumping. In Vancouver, it's crazy. I can't keep track of who's jumping where and what party there are. It's endless chaos here in Vancouver. Uh, if you live here or if you're watching <laughs> what's going on here, we're going to talk to Tricia as well as we're going to have a conversation. I, you know, I'm going to talk with Eric about, uh, about the politics in Vancouver, having personally experienced it. Um, first, per, you know, in, for seven years in office, I can tell you some ideas of what's going on, certainly with the NPA. In our third hour, we're going to be talking about job action at the airport. Oh, no. Just when you think things at the airport couldn't get worse, they just might. We're going to talk about, to the union about this and what's going on and what impact that what their job action might have on airport operations. Eric's going to come by and talk about gender pronouns. Some interesting data came out about pronouns and what ones you're supposed to use or who uses them and who doesn't. Uh, and as well, we're going to have our daily hit from the P&E, and today we're talking about curry in a hurry. If you know it, you love it. All right, so uh, young adults who reside in British Columbia are having a, you know, they're having a hard time envisioning a possibility of growing old in this province. This is from a new poll from Research Co. Before the break, we were talking about university students and how challenging it is to find places to live. It's kind of frustrating. And so to discuss all this and end his poll, and he's got some interesting other data at the very end of this poll. I thought, what's this? So we're going to talk about that as well. But I'm joined by Mario Conseco, president of ResearchCo. Hey, Mario. 
Hey, George, great to be here with you. You too. Hey, look, what, let's ta- what is going on here? Nobody wants, these kids are like, eh, there's no point. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up. I can't live here. It's a severe drop when we compare it to the first time we asked this question back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, we had 66% of the youngest adults in the province who envisioned growing old in, in BC and never leaving. And now it's down to 56%. So Whoa. we're getting closer to that 50% mark as far as people assuming that they have a future in the province. A lot of it has to do with housing, mm-hmm. uh, but it's certainly a big drop from what we saw four years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously there was a pandemic in there. How, how did that play into that? Well, the numbers didn't really change that much during the COVID-19 pandemic. I think people were um, certainly hoping that there would be a light at the end of the tunnel. And what we see with the 18 to 34-year-olds, particularly within the context of the incoming municipal elections, um, they're definitely worried about housing. They're deeply concerned about their inability to enter the market if they're renting. And that is one of the issues that is making them more likely to believe that they can make a go of it somewhere else and not in British Columbia. I mean, it's and it's funny, looking at your data, it's mostly younger people that are feeling this way. Generally, people really want to stay in, and in fact, they want to stay here. They And most people seem to really want to live in British Columbia, but they just can't. Well, the numbers are certainly higher uh, with the older demographics. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70% of those aged 35 to 54 say that they expect to stay in the province for the rest of their lives. Uh, with those over the age of 55, it's 84%. So there's definitely a generational shift as far as the way in which you are looking at the province, uh, your income, the way in which things are going to work, and especially troubling for those who are trying to get into the housing market. Um, This has consistently been the number one issue facing the province. It was a little bit of a drop during COVID-19, understandably, but now we're back to the same situation we had in 2017 and 2018, which is housing on top of everything, more than the environment, more than healthcare, and more than jobs. One of the things that uh, that you asked about was wh- whether or not uh, British Columbia's would be better off if it's, if, <laughs> as its own country. I'm guessing this is because Alberta is talking a lot about uh, separating, um, and there's this Western sort of separation movement, if you will. I mean, I think now we're seeing massive surpluses in the budgets in Alberta. They might stop talking about it, but uh, you know, this frust- what, what would I'm surprised to see this question because I think BC is like, yeah, we're fine. Well, I've always been very curious about how people feel about specific areas of the province becoming sovereign, sorry, uh, areas of the country becoming sovereign. And, you know, we've seen the numbers in Quebec dropping. There was a point uh, about 10 years ago when about 40 percent of Quebecers were saying, yes, we should have another referendum. We want to become an independent nation. There was a moment in Alberta, especially in the early years of the Notley uh, time, um, when it got closer to 30%. Now it's at about 23-25% of Albertans Mm. who believe that they would be better off as their own country. And what is really crucial is we don't have the same feeling here. Even though we have a strong Mm -hmm. identification with Seattle or with Portland, um, there's no uh, nascent independent movement in British Columbia. What is also curious when you ask people in Alberta is if you start to add other provinces to the mix, it becomes more attractive. The notion Mm -hmm. of a Western Canada that starts in Manitoba and ends in the Pacific Ocean is something that they love, but it's not something that most people in the other parts, which are not Alberta, would like to see happen. 
happening. No, and I think a, a big part of that has to do with port and access to the ports. Without access in your own country with the, any kind of port infrastructure, you're really locked in there and at the whim of uh, whoever controls, you know, ac- you know, getting out of the country as far as that goes. So that's really uh, this affinity with the states, though. Uh, I mean, uh, we have. I mean, I always think when I, an exotic vacation weekend away generally is let's go to Seattle here. It's not like New York. It's like let's drive <laughs> to Seattle. But there we love Seattle and Portland. It's huge. You know, we have 62% of British Columbians who say, I believe I have more in common with the people of Seattle or Portland than with those in Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. So it's definitely that sense of Cascadia. And, you know, Cascadia is, is quite fascinating because people, you talk to somebody and they say, let's take it all the way to Northern California. Mm-hmm. You talk to people and they say, why stop there? Let's take it all the way to Los Cabos in Mexico. So <laughs> okay. there's definitely a Western situation there where we identify more with those who are to the South than with those who are to our East. Well, you know, Mexico would be great to be connected to Mexico in a, in a bigger way, for sure. I think you think that too, maybe. Look, so what about, there's, you know, and the, the there was, there's one little information here that you've put in here. It's kind of buried at the bottom. Uh, you added, I don't know if you added this question, but this is about our premiers. And I am amazed yes. at these numbers. Uh, and I'm really, curious to tell me tell me where how this this is like quite shocking actually go ahead tell me about these the premier numbers here we ask this question every year as part of, of the bc day package and we have 30 percent of british colombians who say that john horgan has been the province's best premier since 1986 uh, christy clark and gordon campbell are tied for second place at seven percent <laughs> mike harcourt now in fourth place at six percent so definitely a significant advantage for horgan on this question and when we ask who has been the worst uh, recent head of government, Christy Clark is ahead with 19%. <laughs> then it's a tie between Campbell and Horgan at 10%. So we tend to gravitate towards <laughs> the recent premiers. We don't see a lot of yeah. criticism towards people like Ujjal Dosanjh, uh, for instance. Or Van Zandt, um, We're thinking is, about the last three. Yeah, the ones that are controversial. You think back, you know, 20 years. I mean, Expo, Van der Zandt came in after that. And there was some really yeah. controversial ones that people were pretty mad about. Well, it's, it's kind of strange because when we ask similar questions in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. there's always a favorite person. Like you talk to Albertans and it's always Ralph Klein, right. no matter how long oh, yeah. it has been, no oh. matter who's the premier in Alberta, it's always Ralph Klein. Similar situation with Burasa mm-hmm. in Quebec. Um, here we are gravitating towards the recent ones, uh, both for the good and the bad. We can't remember that far back. It's a British Columbia way. Like, what, you know, it's like how we treat the weather. You mean it was raining last month? I don't, <laughs> I don't remember when it, it was raining. I just, it, isn't it always sunny here? <laughs> That's how we think. Yeah, we have all forgotten about that July where we didn't have any sunshine. It's, yeah. it's gone now. Yeah, well, it's interesting though, 30%. I mean, how is that different than last year for Horgan? Is that sort of holding strong? It's holding strong. It was at 29% last year. I think a lot of this has to do with the way they connected during the COVID-19 pandemic, Mm -hmm. ultimately getting a majority government out of it. And I mean, it's still up for grabs. You know, we'll know in the next couple of years as we continue to ask this question, if he stays there or if the numbers start to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen the same happening in other provinces, but I guess we'll wait and see. You've got some polls coming up. I want to know when you're doing your next poll on uh, the Vancouver civic election. We're going to talk to Tricia Barker after the one thirty news, who's left the NPA, joined the team. This is like, and then there's a new leader of the NPA. There's all these things going on in Vancouver, as well as what's going on in Surrey. When is your next municipal poll coming out? We're going to be in field over the weekend. Um, I had a lot of information collected before John Cooper decided to step aside. So it was kind of sad to have to put that (laughs) next to the trash can. But we had to because it's a whole different ballgame now. So we'll get that. You'll do it in the weekend. So when, how fast do we get, how how, can you do this so fast? How how fast will we get that data? 
Oh, by the by, by next week, I think probably by Wednesday or Thursday, we'll have some data that we can talk about because wow. it's uh, we only got a month and a half left, and I we're know. still seeing people jumping from one party oh to another. God. So it's, well, they got to the. I ninth. just hope nobody drops out in the next three days because I don't want to throw the data out again. I don't know. Yeah, well, they're they're, they're they go in and register now, but they've got till the ninth, I think, to do it. So I'll be curious to ha- see what happens with Mark Marison. I, I, you know, he's down. I don't know. His polling is down. At what for you last time he was la- he was the last of the bunch, wasn't he? I think. In, in the mayoral candidates for the party ones, I think in your last. Yes, party it's was. Uh, it, it was essentially a, a fight for third or fourth place. Yeah. Um, we saw Colin Harwick climbing the charts a little bit the last time we asked. Right, but we'll have to see how it goes. I'll be I'll be watching. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. My pleasure, George. Anytime. All right, George Affleck in for Jill this week. I uh, hope you're doing well. It's September. It's September. Ugh. But also, eh nice outside so can't complain all right so one of the true standouts in vancouver politics over the last four years was park board commissioner trisha barker she's a frequent guest here on cknw and she she flew the npa party that party it's banner really high but not anymore she along with fellow park board candidate kumi kamara announced uh, well she not uh, they're not gonna, they're switching parties they're gonna run with team oh what is going on in vancouver i'm getting so confused trisha joins me now hey trisha Hi, George. What is going on? I, I couldn't help. I couldn't help but notice that you were not at the Fred Harding press conference. I couldn't see you in any of the photos. Is that Was there a reason for that? Is this hum, somehow connected to Fred Harding being announced as a mayoral candidate for NPA? Well, I must admit, there's a lot of things going on in politics right now in the city. It's <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of hard. I think you have to have a big map to figure it all out. Things are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been very... Uh, very outspoken on, you know, the things that I stand for and what I'm looking for and uh, why I'm speaking out and why I'm even running in politics. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't planning to go into politics. Mm-hmm. So when I see something that, you know, maybe more political, um, I, I try to just move away from that and say, what are we trying to do? And so for me, it was pretty simple that um, the, the people told me what they want me to fight for at the park board. And so I'm trying to be do the best job I can making that happen. But why because, couldn't you do that with MPA? I don't get it. What's, what's, what's the party got to do with that? Well, because the party can help decide the platform that you're moving forward ah, on. Come and on. Who, you, you, once you're elected, you're in there. You get to do whatever oh, you want. You don't get told what to do by anybody. Do you? You're right, and no one, no one ever told me what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I was really lucky, and running with John Cooper and being with John Cooper uh, for four years, that was a real blessing mm-hmm. about how it can be done really, really well. So, yes, once you're elected, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But sometimes leading up to it, if you're saying, okay, this is what we should be talking about, and people say, no, let's talk about this. Platforms can be different. And I must admit that anytime anyone threw their hat in and said they were going to be running for the park board, I looked them up and I tried to kind of meet them out, you know, out and anyone has their mm-hmm. tents at all these festivals. They should. I just said, uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to meet mm-hmm. everyone and get a, a handle on what people were thinking. Because <laughs> knowing that you might be sitting at a table with them for four years and <laughs> what are you going to be able to push forward? And, um, yeah, so this uh, opportunity came up. Kumi and I talked about it, and we thought uh, everything else aside, 
you know, not wanting to go into the dirty laundry or anything. No, I want this to. Let's get be... into it, Trisha. Come on. No, I mean, come on. This is. Don't you feel like a bit of a traitor, though? No. Why? I mean, you're leaving. You're bailing on the party right before an election. It's a bad look for the party. It makes you look somewhat opportunistic, doesn't it? Uh, then, I, you know, if you're gonna, if you're going to say that about me, what could, what can I say? I mean, I I've been really clear with everyone about what I'm fighting for. And, um, you know, if people think I'm playing a political game, uh, they don't know me. So then it, don't has, know me. then it has to do with what's going on, whatever's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, John left, you left, Kumi's left. There's something going on behind the scenes that you're obviously not willing to tell us. There's obviously something going on behind the scenes at the NPA that all these people are leaving. Because, frankly, if you'd run, you probably would have won the NPA. Now you're with team... It's a big. This is a new party. This is a new brand. It's not as easy. You've got up. You're against ABC. You're against Forward Vancouver. You're against all these other ten parties that exist. With the NPA, as you know, no matter what people say, they had that base. So you're taking a big risk by bailing on the NPA, and you would have probably won. And now you're you're taking that risk. So clearly, you're willing to take that risk because you were so disappointed with the NPA. What else could it have been? You know that you can do what you want once you're elected. So why not just stay and win as MPA so you can get the job done at Park Board? Maybe it's about, and I do appreciate all of the things you're saying here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I know, you know, you've been in politics. You know all of this. But I think it's also about getting your voice out and having the opportunity to have your voice come out. And if other voices in the room are louder than your voice, then people aren't going to hear about what you're interested in. And you can't just rely okay, on, that's, oh. Okay, go, sorry, go ahead. And, and so I, I think that um, if, you're, if you don't have that opportunity to say, well, this is what I'm doing, or this is what I'm hopefully going to be able to get done for the people that voted for me last time. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that opportunity to, uh, and, and even get out there and make those connections, uh, to, to be able to do all the things you need to do. You've done this longer than I have. But also, um, I'll just stop for a little second here. Okay. You, you also know me, and I want to also thank you for being so kind mm-hmm. when I ran into you at the fireworks night to our mutual friend. Oh, yes. Well, former counselor, yes. Yes. And that is the kindness in people that I really... Um, value the kindness you showed that gentleman that mm-hmm. night and he's still talking about it today <laughs> so those are the things well, you could say his name can you say his name because he's an important person in our city alan herbert yeah former city councillor a great guy uh, millions of ideas this guy had i mean he uh, really innovative uh, politician i think he only did one term but uh i always respected him so say hi to him for me look trisha i i feel like you're dancing around this though and i'm sorry to be a bit tough on you here but i think that a lot of people are asking what the heck is going on with the npa and i think the timing just seems very suspect. I think it seems like you're saying the voice, you know, talking about the voice. Sounds like the voice is what you're talking about is Fred Harding's voice being heard over what you might want to say. He's the new leader. He's the face of the party. He's already in hot water on issues that he's and things he's said in the past. So are you telling me that basically that voice, which is Fred Harding, is the problem and that's why you left? I don't think I would have left if John Cooper had been there. Okay. 
All right. I will leave it at that, Trisha. I appreciate you being frank with me. And, you know, good luck with your campaign. You're a good commissioner, and I think Park Board will do well to have you there. Uh, and uh, all, all the respect to you uh, putting your, t- your, your work in your service. I know you, your job is all about service, and now you're, and your Park Board work is service. So good luck with your campaign. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, okay. Tr- Bye-bye.